0: Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShaw.net. Interview All Things Tech with Joe Dale. If I was to ask you, when computers first came into the education system, you probably think maybe 25, 30 years ago. Some of you might even brave, you know, the 1990s. Hard to believe that's 30 years ago at this stage. But if I was to tell you that SESI, the Computers in Education Society of Ireland, celebrated its 50th anniversary, um, you would probably be surprised. Yes, back in 1973, teacher and researcher Elizabeth Oldham founded the Computers and Education Society of Ireland in Trinity College after looking at this big machine in the university and saying, gosh, I think there might be something educational to be done with these big computer machines. And 50 years on, here we are. I went along to the 50th anniversary celebrations and it was lovely catching up with some old friends and meeting some new friends too. One such old friend was Joe Dale, who I first met in 2008 when he came over from the UK to give a presentation at the SESI conference and two years later, he's so impressed that he became the keynote. Joe struck me at first because when he started his presentations, he used to take out his phone and record it, then put it up on a website, in many ways becoming an early uh, adopter of what's now known commonly as podcasting. And I'd like to think he inspired me in many ways. Um, In fact, one way he inspired me was in one of his talks. He told me about this tool called Twitter. I think you've probably all heard of Twitter by now. I certainly have. Anyway, I'm looking forward uh, to uh, presenting to you uh, an interview I did with Joe Dale uh, a few weeks ago uh, when he was preparing to go on one of his regular talks to Dublin. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello. You are welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShaw.net. This is Simon Lewis uh, speaking. Well, when I think of educational podcasting, I think of two Joes. The first is uh, Joe Malloy, who is uh, possibly the original podcaster in uh, education, uh, a teacher from Ireland. But um, uh, hot on his heels was uh, a man who I met in 2008, I think, uh, Joe Dale, all the way from the Isle of Wight, but is, I, I think, has gained Irish citizenship, if not officially, uh, certainly uh, from me, uh, if I can crown that, he'll certainly be the Minister for Education by the end of this podcast episode. So I am thrilled to meet Joe. Joe and I have come back uh, uh, to, I think we've met at so many different conferences over the years and uh it's great to actually kind of have a chat to you on a podcast
1: lovely to meet you Joe oh it's absolutely amazing to be here simon i um uh, i remember yeah we did we met him back in 2008 i think probably we were following each other on on twitter or maybe i was reading your blog at that time but um absolutely i started podcasting in 2006 i was really really one of the early adopters but as you say joe malloy was um, was podcasting before it was called podcasting, I think is the right way to say, someone who's not only on the cutting edge, but on the bleeding edge. And uh, for my, my, my um, blog, which is now very much moribund, um, I actually interviewed uh, Joe uh, using um, Skype and a Skype recorder. And we talked all about how he got into podcasting. And uh, it was an absolute thrill. And it was also an absolute thrill to, to see Joe again, as well as yourself, at the re- recent SESI um, conference, which uh, was celebrating its 40th anniversary. So thank you so much for the opportunity of coming on your podcast, Simon.
0: No, you're very welcome. Uh, I, I'm going to correct you there. SESI is even, te- even older than that. It's 50 years old this year. I'm sorry. Oh,
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get that out, out in the edit. But yeah, sorry, Absolutely. 50 years old. There we are. And yeah, I mean, I can remember when we met, the first SESI conference would have been 2008. Um, and I remember it was in uh, in Tala, just outside Dublin uh had to get there by tram it was uh, it was really cool and i was put in quite a small room but i think there was surprisingly quite a few people that wanted to um to come and see me and they couldn't actually fit everyone in the room so um luckily enough 2 years later i was able to to keynote the conference in uh, port Leash and um everybody could come along if they really really wanted me to talk about uh, to listen to me talking about uh uh, professional learning networks and and Twitter. and of course, those were those were quite early days, exciting exciting times to connect with people like yourself, with other uh, amazing Irish educators. So at the at the fiftieth anniversary of Cesi, it was amazing to to meet up again with yourself, with Joe Malloy, with John heffernan, um with uh, mags almond, um with uh, with lots of other people um, who I hadn't seen for a few years. So it felt very special, and that's why I wanted to go all the way to Galway in in the in the uh, the uh, liquid sunshine as one uh, says in Galway uh, it was really lovely to be back and see all those familiar faces
0: absolutely it, it had been a, a, a quite a while since I'd been to setting myself and I just thought because it was the 50th anniversary um, we I'd make an effort to get there and um, it was just it was lovely lovely just to see uh, all the old faces and a few new faces as well I, I suppose I mean, what's kind of changed for you uh, in the last, I suppose, it is 15 years since your first SESI conference? It's a big question, but the world of technology, I suppose, has been revolutionized over the last, I suppose, uh, 15 years as it was, 15 years before that and 15 years before that. What's the last 15 years really brought us?
1: Well, I think um, for me personally, I mean, sort of 2007, 2008, um, when I was sort of getting into uh, blogging and Twitter and things like that, and I was talking about, um, PLNs as I, as I just referred to, and to me, one of the big things which has happened in relation to that is now we do have very much different communities that are very established. So in the languages world, which I'm sort of part of the, uh, MFL Twitterati community is very, very established. Um, as a result of, um, the pandemic, we were able to share lots and lots of ideas and, um, and, and blog posts and tweets, and uh, we did lots of uh, webinars. I organized over 140 webinars with the Association for Language Learning um, to help teachers not only in this country, but um, uh, when I say this country, I mean uh, England, should I, t- just to clarify, but also all over the world. So we uh, did over 140 uh, webinars around either re- remote teaching uh, languages or hybrid teaching or then sort of later on face-to-face teaching again, but I think that what I've seen uh, since, say, 2008 onwards, is the the strengthening and the 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 widening of the community's reach, and the and 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 people have come and gone as well in that community. Um, so I think as long as you have sort of regular contributors, whoever they may be, then you're going to get a really dynamic and thriving community, and that's been something which has definitely had, in my opinion, has, has had an impact on everything that I've been involved in. Because there's been this sort of back channel that's been running right through the years, um, supporting teachers, giving them ideas, uh, allowing them to connect face-to-face with other colleagues as well as virtually at uh, face-to-face conferences, being able to uh, showcase their brilliance as a result of having a real audience that they can uh, speak to. I think that that is certainly something which has driven a lot of the technological advancements that we've seen. But I mean, if you're talking about sort of more different themes, let's say, that have happened in recent years, we, we've seen various trends, haven't we, come and go. I remember in um, around that time when I was first getting into uh, technology and, and blogging and podcasting, there were people talking about Second Life as if it was going to be the new coming, and it just, it just never happened, did it, really? In fact, likewise with, with podcasting as well, I thought that there was going to be this huge revolution in podcasting. And I do think, to be fair, in recent years – probably as a result of um, uh, Anchor.fm, which is now called Spotify for Podcasters, that that was acquired back in 2019. And as a result of that, um, I think that it encouraged many, many more people to get into podcasting because the whole process was completely free using what was Anchor now is Spotify for Podcasters. So I think... In recent years, uh, certainly I've seen many, many more educational podcasts out there. But I know, Simon, you've been doing this for a long time, haven't you? Maybe not this particular podcast, but you've been podcasting for a long time. And I think that the the challenge has always been about the technical expertise required to produce a good quality podcast and the time it takes as well. But I think that with tools like Anchor, it's made the whole process simpler because the fact you can essentially just record a podcast using a mobile phone the quality won't be as good compared to if you've got a nice microphone and everything so i think it's worth investing in the the kit but i think you can get up and running completely for free which means that you can then you know explore your creativity without wondering about the cost either every month or or annually which is normally something which comes uh, part and parcel with podcasting because of the fact you have to pay hosting costs normally but with uh, anchor now spotify that process is now completely free so those have been a few things which I've I've seen in recent years, but I think yeah, at the core of everything are the, um, the the teaching communities and the way in which they share either on Twitter or on Facebook or LinkedIn or maybe more recently on Instagram and maybe even TikTok. I'm not into TikTok personally, but that's another another thing which uh, one could explore. But I don't want to spread myself too thin, so I'm basically focusing or in recent years focusing on on Twitter and Facebook. I would say, although I've started posting on LinkedIn quite a lot as well. So there we are. That's that's a potted answer.
0: Yeah, LinkedIn seems to be um, almost like Facebook for grown-ups or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you even nearly graduated or, or something like that. It's it's been really interesting just hearing your kind of analysis really of the last fifteen years. And um, I think for me, the the thing that made me very excited for the first time, and I think it was it was it was something that you were doing uh, back in two thousand eight. Was you recorded everything you? Um, Everything you did. Um, and I just remember you got the the first talk you ever gave, said hold on a second, and you got your phone and you recorded your your talk and then uploaded it to something called Typepad, uh, which is another thing. I think is that still going, Typepad or I think
1: it is still going. I'm still paying yeah. um X amount per year to keep my uh my site there. I think if I stop paying, I think probably it would become like um a um legacy site i'm sure it wouldn't actually disappear but um with all these things i don't know if you're the same but i sort of forget to um to stop subscriptions and this sort of thing so i'm no, i'm normally paying x amount per month or per year even though i might not be using that service anymore but yeah that absolutely um uh i used to for for quite a few years actually i used to record lots of things not only my own sessions but occasionally i would say i don't suppose you could record your session could you and then actually literally give um Ah, uh, the person like a, a portable uh, little recorder. I used to be really into the recorders called iRivers, which um, recorded really good quality audio MP3 files. And then um, I would um, edit them and then publish them on my on my TypePad blog. And it was just a great way not only to uh, reflect on what you've what you've done, but also that sort of editing process allowed me to really deeply remember what I had talked about and then the next time I repeated that same presentation which is obviously what we have to do um on a a, well what I have to do anyway on a regular basis because you can't just do a presentation just once and that that's it that would be far too much time to to put together unless it's a keynote I suppose that would be different but but um if it's um a presentation that you've spent time uh, to put together in my opinion it's a really good idea to then repeat that in different contexts because Only the people in front of you there and then will hear that. And if you record it and edit it, it's a great way, in my opinion, to really memorize the things you want to, that that you talked about. And then the next time, because you've almost got like your own voice in your own ears, as it were, the next time it's much easier to then present that same content. Um, So I did actually record some of the same presentation and, and, and edit them as well. I was incredibly keen back in the day. But um, I, I came to the point whereby essentially I just decided I didn't have time to do that. But I know there were people who um, were listening to the recordings. I mean, officially it would have been a podcast because it was on a blog and there was a an RSS feed attached to it. But it was really sort of later on, uh, a few years after that, that I sort of got more into sort of dedicated podcasting, whereby I had a site just for the podcast and the RSS feed would only have that audio on it but as with everyone joe malloy yourself included um the people we've mentioned already we were really just working out as we as we went along i think and just trying to work out what was the best way of approaching these different ideas of you know how to blog successfully how to create a podcast and what was fantastic about those really early days was it was a very much sort of like a cross-curricular approach i think and the way that you you just wanted to connect with someone that was let's say a teacher, an educator who was just interested in ed tech. It didn't have to be in my context, you know, like a language teacher. There were, there were you know, the number of language teachers at the time um, who were into this sort of stuff. It, it was only a small group, but there were lots of teachers who were trying these things out. And, you know, if you look, listen back to those podcasts of those early days, people would maybe say things like, oh, I've discovered this thing called Twitter. It's quite cool, you know, you know this sort of thing. That's always a laugh. But I think that yeah, we, we found our way. And now it's all very, very, very mainstream. As with anything, you get the early adopters and then you get, uh, it, it then becomes established. And, you know, I think um, one of the silver linings of the pandemic was the fact that we did have all these established communities, which could help each other and then rise to the challenge and, and share ideas. And I think that was incredibly helpful, particularly when we went to that sort of remote emergency teaching situation back in March uh, and April, 2020.
0: Exactly. And do you think, um, I mean, the the pandemic, I mean, for for the edtech scene, I mean, do you think it absolutely cemented uh, the value of technology and education, or was it just an emergency thing, and everyone just went back to what they were doing before, or how how, how did you experience it, yeah, uh, over there?
1: Okay. so I think that's a, that's one of the key questions at the moment. um well, in my view anyway, I think that personally, as I said, I think one of the silver linings of the situation, which was obviously really grim and really difficult and and what have you, that all teachers had to uh, use technology in some form to do some sort of remote teaching, be it uh, live classes or asynchronous teaching. There were lots of schools in in England, I don't know about in Ireland, who didn't allow uh, state schools, let's say, to do live lessons. So using tools like Zoom or Teams or or Google Meet. They had to do everything asynchronously, and then you got the huge divide uh, in certain areas of the country whereby there would be students who essentially didn't have the technology, didn't have a laptop that, that they could use. Maybe that the father or the mother was using that to do work from home. They didn't want to use their data, or they couldn't afford to use their data if they had a mobile phone, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there were lots and lots of challenges, but I think that as a result of the fact that all teachers had to provide some sort of uh, remote teaching that there was this huge desire to share things that worked which again which is why I think that those those webinars that I did for um organized for the association for language learning officially called tilt which st- stood for technology and language teaching I think those were really really helpful and I think that uh, when we went from sort of remote to hybrid to remote again that teachers had the opportunity to you know get more used to some of these tools that maybe they've never had never heard of before or were becoming more familiar with them and I think that that's been a really positive thing and I think in relation to to now I think that or I hope more importantly that teachers will be adopting a more blended approach so what I mean by that is maybe as a result of say creating screencasts back in uh, the early part of the pandemic which is maybe something that they had never done before because I remember seeing lots of Facebook posts and on on Twitter, people were asking things like, you know, how do I make a screencast? What do I use? What does everyone else use? Please retweet type thing. And I think there were lots of people who wanted to help. Although I remember at some points there was sort of, I had to just close the laptop because I thought, I just don't know if I can take any more. I don't know if I can take any more questions because I was, you can imagine I was being absolutely bombarded by how do you do this? How do you do that, Joe? Like 24-7. But I was happy to help. But there were moments when I think, I don't know if I can, like particularly... Um, The second lockdown, uh, January 2021, I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this. But then, of course, you just sort of lift yourself up and you get on with it. But I think that's what I hope. um, So I've been asked that question a few times. What I hope is that teachers will put into place or are putting into place a more blended approach. So they will be, let's say, setting assignments via Teams or Google Classroom or creating a screencast for, for students that maybe weren't able to attend live and they would give them some sort of revision materials. I would... I wouldn't like to think that teachers have just gone back to the old ways, let's say. I'm sure there are some teachers that have done that, and I'm not here to bash teachers at all. That's not what I, what I do at all. I, I totally understand if that's how they feel they want to work. But at the same time, I would hope that more and more teachers, particularly maybe the ones who were sceptical about technology, have maybe changed their views and are more positive about the, the power of technology that people like myself, yourself, that are into edtech, have been saying for years and years and years. So it was really, I suppose, a perfect context for people to try out, a horrible context, but a perfect context for people to try out these tools that maybe they'd never uh, tried before and to see that the benefits on the learning of the students because they had to do that. They had to facilitate learning with their students, whichever context they found themselves in. Um, and there's been lots and lots of obviously different contexts for this. But that would that would be my hope. I mean, what, what do you think, Simon? How do you think that things have changed in the the teaching workforce as a result of the experience of the pandemic and all the demands that were put on teachers?
0: Yeah, I I have to admit, um, I w- I was actually at a conference in Galway uh, on the the morning the, where uh, the T shock uh, came onto the onto the screens to say we're we're closing schools now, uh, send everyone home. I I I have to admit, the first thought that came into my head it was a little bit of excitement because. I had this. I, I, I realized, and I think everyone realized, if schools are going to close, we were going to have to uh, move to an online teaching uh, sort of methodology. And this is something, obviously, I mean, I'm sure you're the same. We've been trying to promote for years and years and years and years. And the first thing I did, this is so sad. This sounds so sad. I went into the. I went to the hotel room. I rang the the, the not sad bit was I rang my wife to say oh my god, and then I rang my deputy principal who was in school as I'm going oh my god what am I going to do? And then she said look Simon don't come back to Cardiff enjoy your last day of freedom uh, at this conference. And then the next thing that I did that is actually sad is I opened my laptop and I started to develop a website for ideas of what teachers could do the next day in terms of technology and uh, built that over the next few days and, and kind of try to, I suppose, in my own way, by me trying to find out how can I, now it's real, how how am I going to actually muddle muddle my way through this? If, I mean, in theory, this is my dream that we were all going to be using technology in a more meaningful way. And all of a sudden, it had to happen. And then I needed to find out, okay, now it's happening. How am I going to, number one, get my staff through this? But number two, I don't know, I felt a sort of a, not a responsibility but I, I felt this urge to maybe put that out to anyone else any other school and you know in, in many ways it was very exciting despite the absolute offense of it, you know i mean it, it's it's kind of funny uh, you know a few years later where um the post-mortem let's say of of you know looking back at the time oh did we uh, in ireland anyway there's people being critical of uh, that we're overzealous in our uh restrictions and things like that I think if the same thing happened tomorrow, I'd be doing, you know, I'd be as overzealous. I, I wouldn't care, you know, that, that that's the way I'd be. Uh, but certainly, I don't think we'd be shutting schools down anymore. I, I know in the UK, there was a slightly different approach, but certainly in, in Ireland, there was a blank uh, kind of all schools closed for about, you know, four months for lockdown one, which was kind of a, in a way, I felt there was two pandemics. That first lockdown where there was a lot of forgiveness, there was a lot of, I actually felt loved as a teacher for the first time in a long time. There was a lot of, you know, kind of like the way they dealt with the NHS and the and the HSC over here. You know, they clapped the nurses and all the rest of it. Teachers are kind of up there as national heroes for about 10 minutes and it was it was lovely. And then lockdown two came along and it was like, okay, lads, you've had your fun now. And it actually became very, very tough because I think we were given about four months to play, but I don't think we were really that ready you know, even by January 2021, it to to figure out how are we going to do all this? And actually, is it really that good doing this anyway? Some of it was good, but I think very, very quickly, from my point of view anyway, I realised, you know, actually we need to be around people when when it comes to learning. I, I think there's some great advantages to the blended approach, as you just said, you know, the the idea of it's great that I can go to a course in well, anywhere in the world, if I really want to, or I can get some training in, you know, synchronicity or asynchronous, if I if I really want to, but I think I also need uh, that concept of being in a room with other people and the energy that comes with it. So I think I I mean I I what I've noticed certainly in, in, in over here is that certain things stayed like. Online platforms for learning, the Google Classrooms, the Teams, the Seesaws, all those kind of things. And I think they stuck. And I think the big losers there were homework journal companies. Um, because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if there's going to be a homework journal ever sold again, uh, thanks to the pandemic. But um, as well as that, I think it actually changed. Another thing it changed, which I thought was really interesting, was the concept of homework. Um, at primary level, uh, for the first time, we were homework became interesting or more interesting. It's not interesting really, but it could become interesting because uh, all of a sudden there was opportunities for choice. There was opportunities for uh, project work, uh, collaborative work, all this sort of stuff. Again, things that we've been kind of pushing for a very, very long time, but people got a taste for it. And I don't think that went away once the pandemic uh, was over. So I think that's kind of where I was at. Um, I don't know, you're, you know, what do you think of that?
1: I, I agree with um, everything that you said. I think that very sort of human feeling of wanting to be in the same room with other people and have a chat and, and meet up with friends and all those things that we took for granted for all those years of being, uh, you know, face to face at conferences or teach meets or what have you. And suddenly that was all that was all gone. And we we didn't really know what was going on we didn't really know when or if it was going to come back really certainly in the first lockdown so that was very scary i think but i think that uh, maybe as a result of the uh, the pandemic we we appreciate each other a lot more and we appreciate you know conversations i certainly do i'm so i'm sure you're the same and i'm sure seeing the children as well face to face as well is a completely different um, kettle of fish compared to seeing them in in a zoom session or, or or what have you or setting them work asynchronously so i think that the the simple things that were suddenly taken away from us became incredibly important and i remember i think it was quite early on in 2020 there was a i think it was like a, a SESI teach meet or there was certainly an online event whereby in fact i think it might be in a sessy staff room actually And it felt very much like the old days of, you know, connecting with people who I hadn't seen for a long time. And admittedly, we're all, you know, in our own different studies in different parts of um, the UK or in Ireland. But it felt exciting. It felt very much like those early days that, you know, 2006, 2008, that sort of excitement around teach meets and learning from other people and meeting other people who were also enthusiastic. To me, that was very special. And then I think, Moving on, when we started, you know, meeting up face to face again and connecting with people, I remember the Language World Conference last year in Sheffield. So that that's the conference which is organised by the Association for Language Learning. And I remember we sort of all arrived, we all took our masks off, and it felt absolutely joyous. Like it's difficult to put into words that sort of feeling of people you hadn't seen for two years and being able to talk to them and chat with them and. For them to ask about, you know, family or you asking them about family or so not just about language teaching. It was it became much, much bigger than that, I think. And I think again, actually referring back to what I was saying earlier about Twitter in particular, because we've got to know each other really well over a number of years, um, you know, like the regular contributors, we know what each other's, you know, football team that they like or what sort of food they like to eat, or whatever, you know, or 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 you know how many um, children they've got, etc. Then when we get to meet face to face, it means we can have those meaningful conversations. And that was something that I certainly felt I was missing out on. And in a way, that's one reason which I've decided to, to go out of my way to try and appear on as many podcasts as possible since March 2020. This is, I think, my 28th since right. March 2020. Because believe it or not, I like talking to other educators. And I don't do as much of that because my 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 work style has completely changed because before the pandemic i was travelling a lot i was going here there and everywhere all over the world and as a result of the pandemic and brexit it means that i can't just now you know jump on a plane and go to mainland europe because i need to get a a work permit or a a visa depending on which country i'm going to but what i have been able to do is i have been able to come to dublin regularly which has been amazing last year i was uh in dublin nine times doing different courses for a company who runs courses based on erasmus plus funding so teachers from around europe can apply for this funding and then if they're successful they can go to one of the providers who offers these sorts of courses and so it's meant that i've been able to get that sort of european experience let's say being in a capital city i love dublin anyway i've been to dublin many many times as well as other parts of ireland but I do love Dublin and I've been able to go back regularly and I've tried to be very sort of cultural and gone to lots of interesting cultural places and museums and um, important buildings and uh, and so on and so forth. So it's been fantastic. And I've literally just come back last week. I was in Dublin for my first course of uh, 2023. I'm going back next week. And if enough people register for each course, I'll be uh, doing the same number I did last year, if not more. So it's 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 fantastic. That was another reason, in a way, I wanted to have a, a chat with you as one of the the the, the main podcasting stalwarts of Ireland. Um, it would be great <laughs> to sort of compare notes as well about uh, fun things to do in Dublin. So that's sort of my sort of view on how things have changed. And I think there have been there's been winners and losers. And I think that as educators and as um, ed tech fans, in lots of ways, we've been part of the the cohort of people who have been able to carry on making a living in admittedly difficult circumstances but other in other cases maybe if people are musicians or work in the entertainment scene um and maybe they had only just um uh, become self-employed before the uh, the 3 year sort of limit that it had uh, you had to have at least 3 years of self-employed work if they fell short of that they got no money or anything for a couple of years which would have been an absolute nightmare i i think so i think in lots of ways educators or people interested in edtech have been have had good opportunities to sort of pivot and change and adapt and make it work for them so i'm very really, i feel very fortunate and lucky that i am regularly able to come to dublin and to run these courses as well as get a bit of sort of a cultural flavor of what dublin is all about and, and the and the dublin sense of humor as well which i love
0: that's it. Well, that's important too. Absolutely. I want to. I want to change uh, the tack a bit. We're going to do kind of a the ghost of the past, uh, present, and future sort of question here. I don't know if that's a good analogy. It's a terrible analogy, actually. But I want to talk to you about the the first ever piece of technology that got you excited in terms of education uh, first. So, what, what what was that?
1: Okay. Well, if I if I maybe do the first bit of tech that got me excited as a as a child, um, because I'm. Uh, I'm of a certain age now, I remember having a ZX Spectrum back in the day, and I would go onto the playground and swap games on cassette with yes. uh, my friends um, and play various uh, games like uh, Manic Miner and things like that and uh, and such, like I got very excited about. But then I sort of, I wasn't um, as enthusiastic until much, much later, actually. that was That sort of idea around playing games is something that I really enjoyed doing, but then when I became an educator and what have you for the first uh, few years, I wasn't very techno savvy at all. I could just about sort of, you know, word process as it, w- as it were. I, w- I wasn't one of these people who started the code games uh, on ZX Spectrum back in back in the day and then suddenly, you know, was into it for, for life, as it were. I was very much not into it. And then it so happened that I was lucky enough to be of an era whereby the government actually gave uh, schools funding for computers and I was able to get this... Uh, discounted computer as long as it was one of the ones on the list as it were and um, i really got into really got into that and get my own you know like dial-up connection so that was probably one of the first vehicles or springboards for really getting me into educational technology but if we're talking about a particular bit of software maybe or or hardware i would say let me think i would say the the first uh, website i got very excited about was the one which is now linguoscope uh, but was at the time bonjour.org.uk or hello.org.uk and it had the old uh, hot potato activities for those people that don't know what that is it's um, a a downloadable multimedia suite from a university in uh, Canada and you could design your own activities like drag and drop and gap fills and so on and so forth and that's what was being used at the time on bonjour.org.uk and I thought that was amazing and I really got into that and thought this is just fantastic, the way in which you can do these activities and get immediate feedback um, and that's just that's just brilliant um but i was a I was a language teacher first and foremost who so then got into technology and then a bit later on, I was really into PowerPoint, and I remember going on to this community known as um mFL resources, which was a yahoo group um at the time, and um uh, just downloading lots of different powerpoints, not using them as they were, but just unpicking the animation effects that people had used back in the day this is you know like uh, 2004 maybe that sort of period and um and then at the time when i was teaching my head teacher uh, invested in a projector and i think he was a bit miffed about the fact that um not that many people if anybody was actually using it and back in the day it would have been about 1500 pounds or you know 1800 euros whatever it was it was a lot of money so because um, I was, as I said earlier, keen and enthusiastic. I said, OK, I'm going to take all my overhead transparencies and turn them into PowerPoints, but make them much better because I, I could use color coding and multimedia animations and, and what have you. So those are the sorts of things I got into in the early days. And then blogging and podcasting followed that. So I had the sort of personality, if I liked something, I become sort of passionate slash obsessed by it until I know it inside out. and And that's just what I'm like, really.
0: Very good. No, uh, that that's great. I I I was uh, I'd one up on you. I, I was a Commodore sixty four. Uh, uh, <laughs> right, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was always the, that. was like the the, the um, Betamax and the VHS debate, yeah. wasn't it? Really, that was the <laughs> yeah, Commodore exactly. sixty four, or even the BBC. The BBC was the next one up after that. Oh yeah, yeah, parents.
0: I remember. I remember that. That was uh, we had a uh, BBC Micros in uh, in the school. I was in um, when I got to secondary school. there There's a, a few of them knocking about, and I messed around with the logo for ages, and I. I, I became uh, fairly obsessed with this this little turtle that you could move r- around a screen, uh, and spent hours f- far too many hours uh, sitting in front of that instead of actually doing more useful things like sport and uh, uh, and stuff like that or studying uh, probably. Uh. But um, so I I, th- I I think for me as an educator, I just I think um, when I I did my teacher training in Wales and. In, I think it was 2002, and they had an interactive whiteboard there. I think there was a lot of investment in Wales at the time in interactive whiteboards. And that, sh- I, I, in some ways, I mean, it wasn't, I think it changed everything anyway uh, in terms of education. I always called it a Trojan horse. It wasn't a particularly brilliant piece of technology, but it was the thing that made everyone very excited, me included. Um, I think there was bits of software. I remember Hot Potatoes. I remember Where in the World is Carmen, San Diego, things like that. And, that were really, really exciting at the time. Granny's garden, even. Uh, but it was the interactive whiteboard, I think that was the big revolution for me. And and sort of for, for, for a number of years, sort uh, of just became another piece of furniture, really, in a classroom. I, I remember things that didn't quite take off, like the interactive tables. I don't know if you remember uh, them being, uh, tried to be pawned off on us for a while. How do you remember those? Not interactive
1: tables, but I remember interactive whiteboards very much. And I remember the first day when, again, my uh, head at the time had decided to invest into lots of interactive whiteboards. I can't remember. I think we had like two stages. I think he, he got about 10 or 20 and then he got some more after that. But I remember the first time I came to Ireland was 2007, 2008. Um, I did a session at uh, Maynooth uh, University, and I remember at the time People t- telling me that um, in in Ireland there w- there hadn't been the same investment in interactive whiteboards compared to in England. But then my understanding was a few years later that that was that was changed and there was a lot more investment in in Ireland in uh, state schools for. Interactive whiteboards, but I think again we can. Only oh, you enough, know, there actually wasn't. Um, was there not? <laughs> I thought was,
0: there was. It was. It was famously interactive whiteboards. Uh, there, there was a teacher. I don't know if you remember him as as Robbie O'Leary. He was kind of like the forefather of technology and education early in Ireland. I suppose he he wouldn't like me calling him that, but it, he he definitely was. But I remember him famously saying that the entire um, Irish technology sector has been built on cake sales and Tesco tokens and he wasn't lying you know it was it was that bad it actually wasn't until about oh, i'd say about 2000 and i'd say 2015 really before we started getting regular money uh for technology and and it's only really in the last couple of years that we're it's, and really as recently as a couple of years that, we're, that we know we're going to have money for technology in schools every year so you can kind of plan for the first time which kind of brings me to the next revolution and I think this is the present day uh, revolution and it's it's a very recent uh, I think it's going to be a revolution I don't know what you think yourself it's this chat GPT uh, thing AI it's possibly too soon to think of it as a revolution but I haven't felt as much excitement in the world of technology since interactive whiteboards What are your own thoughts? I mean, I'm sure you have, you know, two angles, the language learning, but also, you know, the technology side of things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So ChatGPT, we forget it only came out at the end of November 2022. So it's really, really early, but it feels absolutely, in my opinion, like a revolution. And as with um, any sort of really exciting technologies, you'll get people who are like all over it on on YouTube, on Twitter, on blog posts, writing about it, Facebook groups, etc., talking about how we can use not only ChatGPT, but AI in general. But I I must say, recently, I've been getting very excited about all the possibilities that ChatGPT um, can do. Just literally today, I was working out how you can uh, generate a uh, KML file. For for those people that don't know what that is, it's the file that you can import into Google Earth in order to map different uh, places. So what I did was I, I went to ChatGPT and I said, could you... Design a KML file or a file in KML format for talking about, let's say, five different places in Dublin. I did various places. I did places in Paris, places in Dublin. It was quite fun. Uh, can you also give a description at exam level French for each place and put it into KML format? So it did that. It's. I love the way it says, "Yeah, sure, I can do that." Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> it's very enthusiastic. So I, I then took that um, code. I, I, I asked it as well. How do I import this into Google Earth. So it's essentially told me that I had to click on, literally copy the code. It makes like a a code box. You click copy code. And then I had to go to um, a text editor. I was on a Mac at the time, so I was using text Edit, but I could have used a notepad on a PC. You then paste in the text and then you save it as a .KML file uh, as opposed to a .TXT file. And as a result of that, I was able to then go to Google Earth Go to a project or a Google Earth project, and then you get the import option uh, or the open option, open uh, file. I did that, and then lo and behold, uh, the different placeholders were put into either Paris or in Dublin. I did, I did. I've done a number of different um, examples, and it's all working fine now, uh, which is which is great. And the description was all there, and then I also said to ChatGBT, "Can you create ten quiz questions based on the descriptions that you've written?" in exam level uh french so it's appropriate level and give me an answer key as well and of course it said yeah sure and it did that so what i've been trying to do in addition to the more sort of obvious things to do in other words um input a question and you get an answer or ask it to write a lesson plan for you or write ask it to write uh, a quiz for you a multiple choice whatever it might be what i've tried to do is is push the boundaries and I've worked out ways in which you can get it to create a mind map, for example, uh, using chat GPT, which is really exciting. So again, I just go through Twitter and I just do a search for things like chat GPT graph or chat GPT visualization, and you'll find the more, the more interesting cutting edge ideas, but through the association for language learning, a friend of mine, Julia Morris offered to do a, a session around chat GPT, I think like a month ago now, and, um, she did an hour-long session, which was absolutely fantastic. And she'd done a huge amount of work and shared lots of um, her, her resources for that. But also because there were other people that wanted to speak as well. We then had a second hour of nine people doing sort of five-minute presentations as part of like a show-and-tell. And the whole thing was recorded as per normal uh, and it's available on my YouTube channel, which is at uh, Joe Dale, well, Joe Dale 100 or at Joe Dale, because you can now sort of grab your username now for YouTube. And um, it's been watched over 800 times, I think, which is just incredible. So it just shows when there's a lot of interest that you'll get lots of people watching these clips. Some of those tilt webinars we did in the early days, some of them were getting over a thousand views. Um, we just showed the, the, the need. So I think it's very, very exciting. There are Caveats to that. Obviously, you've got the issue around the age limit that when it first came out, you had to be 18 or above to uh, create this contract with OpenAI. They then changed that at the beginning of March so that you could be 13 or above, but you had to have parental permission. But my understanding is it's not sort of copper compliant for those people listening in the States and this sort of thing. And it is essentially harvesting our data. So you'd have to be very careful on the personal data you put into it. I wouldn't, for example, recommend copy and pasting your cv into it although i you know some people are doing that sort of thing but i would be very careful on on how much personal data you put into it but i think from the point of view of doing the heavy lifting of creating resources for teachers and to give teachers more sort of thinking time and uh, allow them to be uh, more creative because they're less tired because they're not spending time making the sorts of um, resources that are easy to do but take time to do that if chatgpt or other ai can remove some of that work then i think that's absolutely brilliant but we have to be very careful on whether we're you know which i'm not obviously encouraging students to like create an account and because they have to use a mobile phone number and things like that and uh, and um you know just being very wary of that and so like for example in italy it's been banned apparently in italy recently that's right, yeah. because of concerns around uh, data and privacy and what have you and i know in queensland in australia for example um because i've done a couple of sessions recently for different modern language associations in in australia for victoria for new south wales um they they've actually banned it in queensland they banned it in um in the like new york district um uh, as well and 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 various other places but i i still think that it's something to really get excited about and uh, and and just push the boundaries and see what it can do and that's a great Another great thing about being part of like a global community, because you can easily tap into what other people are doing and just be inspired by their expertise and their um their ideas.
0: Absolutely. And um yeah, yeah, I mean I've I've been playing around myself. I mean, my at the mesh I'm I'm messing around um with the the idea of making Spotify playlists from a, a from a prompt. So um which which was which actually ended up much harder than I expected it to be. Um Thanks to Spotify's various ways of stopping you from doing these sort of things, but I I, fi- I, I managed to figure out that uh, if I have a theme that I'd like to use in a classroom, let's say the farm, and I want uh, five songs based on the theme of a farm, I've managed to create the code that will create a playlist on Spotify on the theme of a farm, uh, and it's pretty good. Like you know, and and you can I mean I I've done it now, so it's children's songs. You know, you have to. Or else you're could have all together now by the the farm. uh a uh, five and five different versions of it if I wasn't careful. But it's um, it's very exciting and uh, and I think you're right though. There, there's there's uh, some caution around uh, the data and all that. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping it doesn't get banned everywhere. or Certainly not here because I, I I'm quite enjoying playing around with it at the moment and and seeing what it can do. Um, I suppose. Uh, what about the future? I know we're kind of ChatGPT is sort of almost now. It's so now that it's nearly the future. But is there anything else that's catching your eye?
1: Well, I I always think it's foolhardy to predict the future because you know before, let's say November 2022, we would have had no idea that suddenly there was going to be this AI revolution. So I think that it feels very very now very present to be exploring the uh, the opportunities for AI. And I think certainly in the next the next wee while the next year or so i would imagine that that will be the main uh theme and topic that people are interested in and will be talking about i mean for example we had all this chat about the metaverse and that sort of disappeared now hasn't it i think ai has suddenly you know eaten metaverse for for breakfast and spat it out and it's all you know gone off people's radars um so that's been really interesting the way that that has now changed and that's again that's how technology goes you know there's there's only really a few people in the world who really have a good handle on the you know the developments in these you know these huge corporations occasionally you get uh, these smaller corporations like open ai who then get these you know millions and millions of dollars invested into them uh, by microsoft and then they can then do these wonderful things but i think that generally speaking these huge companies uh, have got these ideas that are in the gestation stage for say ten years probably, and then they then at one point they decide to release it to the world. So I think that for anybody, even if you're really into ed tech, to sort of predict what's going to happen in the next year or so, point in place of of what's happened, in, you know, literally just a few months ago, we would never have predicted that we would have this sort of revolution happening right now. And I think that is the right word to use. I must say, I think that's exactly what's happening. And We'll just have to wait and see. I, I, I think um, it's exciting, but I think we do have to be mindful of the dangers. And I, I think some people are being a bit over dramatic, saying it's going to be like the, it's going to have a huge change in society and it's going to be not exactly the end of the world. But, but then that said, who could have predicted that social media would have such an impact on democracy and elections and, and what have you? So nobody really knows. And I think that um, we have to be, yeah, we have to be careful about how we, use these tools but i think from an educator i can really well from from a teacher point of view i can really just see positive uh, outcomes for this but on a wider scale who knows what may ha- what may happen if it, and if it is used in a nefarious way that could be very scary of course
0: this is it exactly it's it's uh, it's funny like you, you read uh, you know, on the various um, the news kind of things that automatically now come to your to your phone all the time about the latest thing that AI has done, like finding a cancer in some photograph. You know, these kind of madly exciting things, but also, oh my god, what else could it do if you really put it to the test? And 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 for you know, but I think it's always been the case of technology. You know, it's always it's always been a force for good, but also a force for bad. And I guess we we just have to, I mean, hope that. It's it more good comes from these things, and uh, and the darker side of it, I suppose, uh, isn't isn't something that uh, really overshadows it all. And um, I I see we're we're almost coming up to an hour here, uh, so I've, I've two more questions to ask you because I think um, I mean one of the things that you've, you've mentioned a few times is that you um, are uh, someone who goes around uh, travels around a lot at conferences, and there is. Either a very recent one, or you've and you've one upcoming as well. And I'm going to uh, read it here. The PPMTA conference about podcasting. What 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 was that about, or is that about, or has that been or
1: gone? Okay, so that was um, a conference that I did back in October um, as part of one of my trips to um, to Dublin. Um, so the PPMTA is the Post Primary Music Teachers Association. I must say I'd never spoken at a, a music. Um, conference before but the reason that happened was because I was running a podcasting course remotely um, with whoever wanted to sign up um, via Eventbrite. So it was a, a five-part course running from the, the basics of setting up your podcast using what was called Anchor, now Spotify for podcasters and then getting like a deep dive into Audacity and how to edit and how to create your own macros and um, how to do uh, what's called ripple delete, which is when you delete a section of the audio but it keeps everything in sync. So if you have like multiple tracks, if you make one cut if you didn't have ripple delete it would then get out of sync. but by having uh, macros which do things like ripple delete it means that you can make cuts safely and securely and keep everything as it should be. So there was um there was an Irish teacher, music teacher who came on uh, to do the course all five sessions called Mary McFadden, who's a lovely lady. And she recommended to the organizers of the, uh, PPMTA that they asked me to do a podcast uh, session because the, the theme of the conference was all about uh, student voice essentially, and giving and empowering students with their voice through music. And so I said, I'd love to do that. And they said they'd love, love me to do that, which was great. And I did the session. It was about an hour long and I created a podcast live using anchor. Um, so no pressure. And, um, and people seem to really really like it and um i'm hoping that as part of my forthcoming trips to to dublin that i get invited to go into uh, a school say the day before and run a session on podcasting so if there's anybody listening to this right now who would be interested in that do get in touch with uh, simon or myself and we could have a chat about it um, um I'll, as i said i'll be regularly coming to um to ireland uh, this year and so if there is a possibility of coming to your school and showing you all the, the the steps required um i could do an hour two hours three hour session what have you i would love to do that and, and just train uh, teachers or work with students as well on on the power podcast which is something i i did back in the day when i was teaching as you i'm sure you remember simon i was doing podcasting you know sort of 2006 2007 Podcasting my students' uh, voices um, all over the world via my Podomatic podcast, which is pretty amazing Ah, stuff. Yes,
0: I remember (laughs) that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's 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 funny, isn't it? And 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 is this uh, for post primary? Uh, schools uh, in the main that you're you're looking for some.
1: Well, it could it was uh, post primary that the conference was post primary teachers, but I'd be more than happy to do uh, sessions at primary level or post primary. I really don't mind. Uh, if there if there's people interested in podcasting, I'm more than happy to to show them what they need to do right. to uh, promote. You know, student voice, and to publish their students' work to a real audience—it's just an amazing thing to do. Which I'm sure I'm speaking to the converted, speaking to you right now about this. Yeah, Well, it, it's funny you should
0: say that. I, I, I've I've been working on on my own staff for a while to see if anyone would take up the mantle because I tried to set up a podcast with my uh, with, with with the kids in my school, and uh, it, it just coincided with the time with the pandemic, basically. So it, it just it just got knocked in the head, so it wasn't able to happen. But I was approached um, just a couple of months ago by two of my staff to say, hey, "Do you know that podcast you were doing with the kids? Would we be able to do something like that?" So they've uh, they've actually started. Uh, they're they've the plans ready. Uh, they have a they have a microphone and they have a, a laptop and they have. Um, I think they're using Anchor as well. So um, one of the uh, one of the teachers is actually a part time uh, radio presenter uh, here in um, locally. Oh, wonderful. He's, he's got the talent and the the tools and all the rest of it. So I'm really looking forward to see the fruits of that. I've one more question for you and I have to ask every single guest on my show this question. And uh, don't worry uh, about, about not being in Ireland uh, full time because I'm going to give you the reins of the Minister for Education uh, in Ireland for one day and you can do whatever you want. It's a benign dictatorship. Uh, so you <laughs> can decide anything. What would be the one thing you would do uh, for the Irish education system, primary level, if you wouldn't mind it either.
1: Okay. I think what I would do is I would encourage teachers to adopt EdTech. Uh, I would also give them funding for buying kit to help them do that and give them the time and the space to train them up on using said kit. Because I think it's an easy mistake to make going back to interactive whiteboards of getting the kit, but not giving any training. And I think that's a mistake that I've seen many, many times uh, happen. And I think that give people the vision, give them the time and the space, give them the, the the hardware based on their own needs. So have a chat with them, first of all, about what it is that they, they need, supply that, and then give them training on how to take full advantage um, of that. So it's it enables them to uh, make the outcomes as purposeful as possible. That's what I would do.
0: Great. No, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a nice simple one, but it's funny how such a simple thing doesn't automatically happen. I, I must say, just on a, on on that little bit, uh, one of the big demands that uh, Irish primary schools would have, and, and possibly some second level schools, and I'm not sure if it's a, it done. Just it's it's probably a given in the in the UK. Tech support, we have nothing. You know, is that something? I, I know that's evolved. I know I've I've been speaking to people outside of the education system that You don't need tech support. Just have a stock of computers and swap in and swap out and blah blah blah. But what, what, what's your take on that one?
1: Well, again, that's a really interesting question. I think that uh, certainly in in UK schools, that there tends to be one person who is sort of in charge of tech support, who's normally running around like a headless chicken, trying to support everybody and you know asking them to turn things off and turning them back on again and that sort of thing. But I think, but I think. What has changed in recent years uh maybe more in international schools or maybe in independent schools that there's, that there's been someone who's been employed who is like the e-learning coach within that school who goes around and supports teachers who is a teacher themselves but maybe has a reduced timetable and you know runs uh professional development sessions after school etc or gives advice on how they could enhance what they're doing by using technology and i think that's something which has happened in recent years Uh, In some schools, which is really nice to see, I think. But I hear what you're saying uh, as well, and I think that yes, it's all very well being part of a a social media community, but I'm not naive enough to think that all teachers are on those social media places. And there needs to be someone in school who can sit down next to somebody and help them. Uh, You know, this idea of sitting with Nelly is a is a very old expression of like you know sitting down helping somebody work it through and not make them feel small or embarrassed or anything like that and just sort of holding their hand uh, virtually speaking and you know just giving them a bit of love really and showing them what it is that, that they need to do because something which i've certainly come across many many times over the years is is this this lack of confidence or fear that something's going to go wrong or is going to break so i think that having someone in house to support is incredibly useful if you have the budget to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so. But well, listen, it's been
0: phenomenal talking to you. I can't believe we've we've talked for an hour. It flew. Um, but if people were interested in getting in touch with you, I, I mean, I hope it won't be like uh, your January twenty twenty one where you had to turn off your laptop with all the requests. But, <laughs> but if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way of finding you?
1: Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much, Simon, for the opportunity of coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up and just to chat about these, these really important issues. But if you want to get in contact with me, um, I would say Twitter is an obvious uh, thing. I'm just at Joe Jodell. I've been on Twitter since May 20, uh, 2007. I've now got 34,700 followers. So if people want to follow me, I'd love to follow, the, um, follow them back. That'd be great. My YouTube channel has grown exponentially. Before the pandemic, I think it had about 200 Subscribers. I've now got about two thousand eight hundred subscribers as a result of all those tilt webinars that I was publishing, plus other webinars that I was um, doing as well. And was um, uh, was all about the sharing. And um, uh, back in the day of, of sharing the audio, now sharing videos on on uh, on YouTube. And then LinkedIn is another good place as well. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook, but I'm in uh, sort of lots of Facebook groups. But I don't do my sort of conversation on on Facebook. I try to keep that more sort of Personal family and friends type uh, situation. So I have everything pretty locked down, I must say, but I'm in lots of groups if um, people are interested. And in fact, I've joined recently, I've joined a lot of um, Irish based uh, language teacher groups because um, something which we haven't talked about yet, which I just finished off with, is the uh, the post primary languages island podcast, which I'm producing. Oh, yes. It's called MFL Teachers Talk. So if people want to check that out, they go to ppli.com dot ie and look for the podcast then there's been three episodes so far and i've been deliberately joining different um irish facebook groups for language teachers and then sort of posting about it there because we just want as many people as possible to download and listen and share this uh, podcast aimed at language teachers uh, just talking about good practice and it's very much by irish teachers for irish teachers so um a little plug there to finish off with
0: Fantastic. So that's ppli.ie,
1: is it? Yep. And if you people search for MFL teachers talk on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, they'll find it as well. But they'll also find the the embedded player and the sort of like the homepage on the ppli.ie website as well.
0: Very good. And I'd say if you look very very hard for you on TypePad, you'll find you there as well. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it's still going. I haven't updated it since uh, 2013, I think. But I'm still. I shouldn't say this. I'm still paying for it every year, and not a lot, but um, but there we are.
0: <laughs> there we are, fantastic. Well, Joe, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, and thanks so much for joining me on If I Were the Minister for Education.
1: Thank you so much, Simon. It's been a pleasure. A great way to catch up. Thank you.
0: Take care. So there you have it. I wonder if you noticed how good that sound quality was on that podcast. Uh, Joe offered to produce and edit uh, this podcast episode, and my goodness it's amazing what a bit of professional a bit of kit and just a bit of know-how can can do to make something sound uh, you know, such such good quality, almost like I was sitting next to him and not talking over the internet. Uh, so a huge thank you, Joe, for doing that. And thank you also for spending an hour with me talking about technology. Um, I think two, two very, very enthusiastic uh, geeks uh, <laughs> there chatting about all things from the past, present and future in terms of technology. And I'll be really interested to see especially where this chat gpt and uh open and all the rest of it goes and now google bard and all the rest of them coming along um fascinating stuff listen th- that is it from me for this week uh thanks again to joe uh for being on the show it was absolutely brilliant to have him and uh, we'll be back again uh soon with uh, our next episode all the very best bye bye <laughs>